Welcome to the Lifelinks Podcast, a safe place of belonging, where we amp up our mic to openly talk with first-gen Latinas, help break free from cultural barriers, navigate the first-gen vida acá with love of culture and determination to thrive. I'm your host, Consuelo Crosby, and also creator of this content. If you would like to chat more about what you've heard here today, then reach out to me through our website at thelinks.com, that's L-N-X-X, or through our Instagram profile at lifelinks. I'd love to listen and engage in whatever you have to say. Hola, chicas. Welcome to this first Wednesday of the Lunar New Year that began its celebration over the weekend. I love the sharing of cultures, especially learning the significance of special celebrations and leaning in to hopefully have some of its goodness rub off on me. This year, the year of the rabbit, is my year. That's right, I'm a rabbit. Which always made me laugh, because that is the last animal of the lunar calendar that I would have associated with. And yet, I do love family and peacefulness even among the chaos, so maybe I wasn't letting these characters define me enough. So may this year bring the rabbit traits of longevity, peace, and prosperity for all of you. Today we are talking all about the ins and outs of digital marketing for Latinx small businesses to build their communities and reach their audience. And even more so, for Latinas to build their community around their authentic self. Bringing us her expertise is Ashley Rivera Mercado, founder of Primer Dia Creative, a digital marketing consulting company helping small businesses realize their poder. So welcome to the Lifelinks podcast, Ashley. So grateful to have you join us today. I'm happy to be here. Why don't you start in and tell us about your heritage and what was it like growing up for you here in the U.S.? Yeah, of course. So I was born in Jalco, Puerto Rico. It is a very small town that's about 15, 20 minutes from Ponce, Puerto Rico in the southwest part of the island. So um, most people know Ponce. It's just the next biggest city. But Jalco has actually kind of grown over the past few years. I was born there and my family moved when I was around two or three years old. And from there, my parents made the official move from Puerto Rico to the mainland U.S. Uh, they were kind of just seeking out better opportunities for themselves, um, for me and my two sisters. So we originally moved to Ohio and then my parents made their way almost immediately down to Orlando. My mom knew that the U.S. would have a little bit more opportunity for daughters that she wanted to raise as professionals with better access to education. Thankfully, you know, my parents were always conscious of putting us in good schools, good neighborhoods. So mm. I lived adjacent to a very affluent part of Orlando called Winter Park. I pretty much was just raised in this very, I would say, white-centric community. And I was always in advanced classes and I loved always going to school and learning. So, you know, I noticed a lot of the differences between those advanced classes, the demographics and kind of the regular level classes, mm. especially once I started my later part in high school, um, I started doing a technical program. And, you know, that's kind of where I became more conscious of my culture. 
So you say you were raised in a white centric suburb to access the good schools. Did you think about your cultural identity when you were growing up in that? Did you come into conflict or bias because of it? I would definitely say yes. I've been very open about how in the community that I grew up in, I'm grateful because I did have access to good quality education. I was going into college level courses in middle school and and I had access to advanced learning programs, but I think that comes at a cost where the higher up you go, like I say, you're seeing less and less people of color because it's a systemic issue, right? So growing up, I was kind of anti being Latina to a certain point. You know, I was very Mm -hmm. focused on not speaking Spanish, not really acknowledging my heritage or my culture. And I think that was extremely hard for me to do, not only because of my name. Um, obviously, I'm, you know, I have the traditional two last names. Uh, my first name, Ashley, is very American, but Rivera Mercado isn't. And um, especially that I spent every summer growing up in Puerto Rico with my grandmother. Oh. And that familial influence is always there. So, I think Mm -hmm. in not wanting to kind of identify with my culture because I felt like I wasn't Latina enough for the Latinos and then I wasn't like white enough for the white girls. That also made me feel like I didn't have a place in my community because in being in such a white centric school, my community kind of didn't really exist. One of my best friends, she's originally from Trinidad and her and I discuss that all the time. How like, we've always felt like we had to compromise our cultures to fit in. And, you know, looking back, that that inability and that insecurity triggered by that prevented us from being friends while we were in high school. Yeah. So you had a heavy influence of your culture regardless, because for most first gens, it's like, of course, within your household, but you were traveling to Puerto Rico every summer. So were you like living two different lives at that point? I would say yes, because my grandmothers don't speak English. So, you know, one of my parents would accompany us for a certain amount of time during our trips over the summer. But, you know, there'd be a point where they wouldn't have leave or vacation time. So they would have Mm -hmm. to go back home. And then it would just be me and one of my siblings or both of my siblings staying with my grandmothers. Because of the language barrier with them, that kind of forced me to practice and maintain the language skills. You go away to college and your worldview just wildly expands. And, uh, you know, the community college here that's very famous, Valencia, it has a very high Hispanic student population. So, you know, that's really where I realized like, wow, like three-fourths of this class are Latinos, you know, like, I'm not weird. And me being in that environment made me realize that this is something good. I made other Latino friends for the first time. I always had a very diverse friend group, but Uh my school had Latino kids, but like I said, in your advanced courses, you don't have that many. So I, all of a sudden, I found myself with way more Latino friends than I've ever had in my entire life. And that made me realize like, wow, there is like a whole world out there, right? Right. In that time, did you realize like, oh, this is what was missing? Maybe not what was missing, but it definitely made me less insecure 
I definitely felt like I didn't need to try to fit in because I strengthened so much of my social skills. I went from being like very timid and quiet and shy. Like I was like painfully shy in middle and high school. No way. (laughs) And yeah. And I look back at who I was then and I realized a lot of that came from insecurity or feeling like I didn't have community because I wasn't like connected with other Mm -hmm. people in this like authentic way. And I realized that that ability to connect with others goes beyond borders or where you come from. That's a skill that I've really worked on over the years. And I think now it's actually one of my strengths. That's amazing. It definitely is your strength. It's what I sought after when I saw you. (laughs) That's a really strong point you bring up that who we are as we identify is not done with our head. It's not a decision we make. It just comes from deep within us and we don't know until we know where we belong, where we feel that sense of belonging. So taking this full embrace of who you are, you found your belonging, your community, what happened next? I think it just kind of opened new doors to me. You know, I worked in higher ed. I still work in higher ed for um, six years, but I was a student where I started going to the University of Central Florida and my first semester at UCF, I also got a part-time job there. And I started working in their international student department. And that's really where my worldview expanded. It led to me making a lot of great friends and being more tolerant and understanding of other cultures. That's awesome. You are very emphatically passionate. It comes through the monitor, no problem. I look at newer generations and I see what having access to so much information at the touch of a screen, right, has done. I do think that we, as we age, we kind of underestimate the generations that come after us. But in Gen Z, I'm seeing so much more intelligence and activism from their generation. I don't think millennials have lended themselves to in the same way. Like, I think we laid the groundwork to allow this new generation, like a whole new level of advocacy and they're taking it and they're just killing it. And I love it. I love Mm -hmm. seeing like that passion come through from all different demographics and backgrounds and age groups, because I think when you kind of open the door and then they like blast through it, You know, you're like, yes, you're doing what I couldn't do and you're doing it better, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there's more access. Like you say, there's more access, there's more opportunity. And I agree with you. Gen Z literally has saved this country. I think they're saving the world. Honestly, Mm -hmm. they're just throwing out the old stuff going, oh, hell no. So you touched on what you're doing with your career is social media and social media marketing and branding. How do you see that going forward for yourself? I definitely see it as something that I could easily develop into a full-time position. I'm definitely one of the hustlers of Latina culture. (laughs) You know, we're always in that entrepreneur mindset. We have money. How can we make more? What can we be doing to fill this time? Like, I think the enemy of Latinos is not laziness. I think it's doing nothing, right? I think with us, it's very like 
everything we have to do is productive in that sense. And in a way, it's good because our communities are able to make great strides and achievements in very small amounts of time because of that. I think it's something that it's not only born out of passion, but it's also something that I genuinely think I'm good at. I think social media is the new way to communicate. A therapist I had told me that the way that especially younger generations view texting, it is just as valid a form of communication as talking on the phone because that is how they're growing mm-hmm. up. That is how, you know, a lot of the communication is being conveyed through a screen, through text. So it's right? just as valid okay. to them. But to me, but I still get tone yeah. confused and I still need like that face to face or hearing mm-hmm. someone because I get very like, oh my God, are you upset? And people are like, no, I wasn't upset. And I'm like, well, I couldn't tell right? because of your text. But isn't that also maybe lending to this sense of isolation when you're not having in-person communication? I mean, there's the good and the bad again, right? If you're not having in-person communication, if you're not seeing faces, if you're not seeing body language um, and you're only going through a screen, could that be lending to isolation and that sense? Because they say Gen Z is suffering a lot from anxiety and depression. No, you're 100% correct. And I think that is something that I became very self-aware of during COVID. You know, I was working fully remote. I was living on my own. I had family very close by, but I, at the time, was very isolated. And I felt that taking a mental toll on me. I was actively getting depressed because I felt Mm -hmm. so separated from the rest of the world. With social media, it's understanding that social media is a tool to connect authentically with your audience. But a lot of the content you're going to be producing is going to make people feel connected to you because it has to be a person talking, right? It can't just be a wall of text. And if it is a wall of text, it has to be meaningful. You know, it has Mm. to have meaning. It has to, again, garner that authenticity so people feel like they are having a conversation with you. Social media isn't your broadcasts like billboard marketing it is a conversation you're having with people that's why social media is social media because there are comment sections and ways to engage with what you're seeing social media is meant for people Mm -hmm. to actively engage with each other and connect with each other like how you and i are right now right i feel Mm -hmm. very connected to you in this conversation but i'm not physically next to you obviously So, and I think that's the power of harnessing your authenticity responsibly online is using it to open a dialogue versus just broadcasting an image of yourself onto people that they can't really or engage with. So this seems like a natural pathway for Latinos to take and a good platform to finally bring out what is your true identity after coming out of an unknown for most of your life, a good, the first quarter of your life. Are you seeing a lot of diversity in the social media marketing? Because it is so accessible for everyone, do you see a Latina presence in social media? I'm very immersed in like Latina focused marketing and tools. And so I do think 
because of the ecosystem I've entered in and the one that I choose mm-hmm. to focus on, to me, there's a lot of representation and opportunity. But I think on a wider scale, it's probably not that diverse because historically, you know, we have a lot of those systemic barriers that prevent us from entering spaces like this. This type of work is kind of hard to get into unless you have the privilege of being able to network effectively or the confidence to really put yourself out there. Because my first kind of foray into social media and a marketing position Mm -hmm. was with a Latina-focused platform because I didn't have a formal background in social media. I wasn't studying communications or marketing, Mm -hmm. you know. A lot of the things that internships want, I wasn't checking off the boxes for those. I didn't have a 3.0 GPA. I was a working class student and I had a lot of um, mental health problems when I went to a four-year institution because I became more conscious of the wealth gap, how expensive it was to go to a four-year school, how I needed to work to afford a lot of things. And that took a heavy mental toll on me. And I think that's something that a lot of students of color can deeply relate to when they enter higher education. So that's kind of the sinister side of entering spaces, right? You get that imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You don't feel as motivated to continue because you do feel like you're not good enough to occupy those spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so great to see people of color in these positions of power and really advocating for their communities and themselves to fill those spaces because they open the door to opportunity for others to go after them. Yeah, that's powerful. As a person coming up and you're upbringing mostly white and you're coming in and realizing as you go higher in the education, it gets whiter and whiter and you lose your Latina community. And yet, does that give you a sense when you go to college, like a sense of, oh, I made it. I got here. I am great. I am able to do this. I am intelligent. And then you get there and you're like, uh oh, you know, it could be crickets and you feel that isolation again. How did you move through that? I've learned a lot about how education really creates opportunity and how often it can perpetuate those systems of inequality at the same time. So I think with me, it was being conscious that it is impressive to go to school at all. You know, it it Mm -hmm. is impressive to even right now I'm earning my MBA and that is not something I ever thought I would do ever. I think my path was different in the sense that I went to school and I worked, right? When I was running a graduate program office for a very niche um, physics degree, it was a STEM-oriented degree. It's like, oh, um, cool. In that department, I realized that when so many people are going for PhDs and these advanced degrees, there's Mm -hmm. a sense of imposter syndrome, even among those people. And those are incredibly huh. qualified and intelligent people. But at the same time, because everyone is doing all this amazing work, to them, mm. it's not impressive. And I think that can be the byproduct of our environments a lot of the time. So to me, I mm-hmm. always had to remind myself, like, you're not even just getting a four-year degree. You're also going to grad school on top of that. You know, that's a lot. And I think that's something mm-hmm. that we all need to give ourselves grace for whether you choose to pursue higher education or not. You need to understand Mm -hmm. that as long as you're taking a path to better and work on yourself, that's already the challenge that most people can't get out of. 
when I left a retail work environment to go work at the university, a lot of my coworkers, because it was a small pay cut, and a lot of my coworkers like did not understand. They were like, why are you taking yeah. less money to go work at a school? And I was like, because this is going to help pay for classes. This is going to put me back on a campus oh. where I'm in an environment where I will be motivated to finish my degree. And that's exactly what it did. And then it actually motivated me to go beyond that and get my master's too. Wow, congratulations. What would you say to other Latinas who are experiencing this? Do they turn to social media communities? Are there in-person communities in the college campuses? What do they have to help them get through it? I think there's so many great online communities like the one that we connected through. <laughs> <laughs> we all grow. Yeah, we all grow. The Amigas community, I cannot recommend good things enough about just like the nuggets of knowledge I've gleaned from their community. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the work that they do is pretty inspiring as far as kind of representing modern Latinidad and um, Latin identity. But I also think the in-person part has to be done too. And as an introvert, I don't want to be around people more than I have to a lot of the time. That's why I chose <laughs> digital marketing because it's online. <laughs> so I can kind of control it a little bit. But I do think in-person connections are invaluable because that body language, that that energy you feel in rooms when you hear someone inspiring talk. There's a reason why TED Talks are a big deal, right? Because they're so powerful, yeah. the power that words can have. And what I would probably recommend to a lot of Latinas that might be going through what I went through is that you just have to keep going. Like, you just can't stop. I question myself every single day. My friends know. <laughs> I have, like, the biggest form of imposter syndrome. And I am the first person to be like, I don't think I'm qualified for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> realistically, the rejection hurts. But I've been rejected so many times and sometimes it just takes the one yes. I like what you say about not letting the nose take you down. But when you hit that yes, that's got to feel good, right? That's got to just blow away all the nose and say, see, I told you so. I can do this. And it just takes that one opportunity. That's got to feel good. And in speaking on the social media, then the opportunity for a lot of Latinas who might be facing this, I don't feel the community, I don't feel like I belong. This is the perfect platform then for authenticity. It is a place where authenticity is embraced. It can be a really beautiful thing to be authentic online and build a community from that. So I see a lot of really great Latina um, influencers having reels discussing mental health, discussing um, fertility issues, things that mm -hmm. are never, ever spoken of in our community that would be considered very taboo by our abuelas, right. you know, to discuss in yeah. mixed company. And um, yeah, let alone public forum. <laughs> exactly. I know one thing that is very shocking to the older generation is discussing mental health online, especially from Latinas yeah. and um, I've seen really great businesses come from those open dialogues like Therapy for Latinx. They do really mm -hmm. great work in matching um, Latinx identifying individuals with therapists that are also Latinx. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. And where where do these ideas come from? It's because you see the need in the community and yeah. you fill it. 
I think the Gen Zs are probably the first generation that ever had an audience. And again, because of social media that ever had the audience that could listen and could share because we weren't allowed to talk about it. And, and we got in trouble for talking about it. So this is the first time it's ever been open. Do you think it's resonating outwardly then to the other generations going backwards, the millennial generation, the boomer generation, that there is opportunity. We find it here on the podcast. There is opportunity to finally be heard, to finally speak openly and receive that validation. Is that something you would encourage further in social media? I think yes, because I think it's really important that if you have this lived experience that can serve to like inspire other people to better themselves, like I think you should 100% share your narrative online or if it's something that you feel other people can relate to, because that's something that I think is really valuable. So putting it out there, feeling like you're hurt, though, because you're not you haven't been able to even talk about it in your lifetime before, at least feeling like you can express it outwardly and that there's there is an audience. You've touched on it often. I'm just getting really more and more curious. Social media and business, because like you said earlier, we have a lot of Latina founders. They see a need or they have a passion and they want to put it into um, business and they just start off. So for these founders, explain how the social media will really bring their business forward then. Yeah, I think it's so important as a business owner, if you are the face of your company, you 100% need a social media presence. It's important that you make sure to express your experience. And I think it's also because a lot of the times, like you said, we're so underrepresented, we can't envision ourselves in those roles. So it is very important to maintain a social media presence to propel your business forward also, because a lot of businesses move forward because of the identity that they craft for themselves that connects with others. If you don't document the things that you go through as a business owner, mm. as a Latina, as an executive, we're not really going to hear your story a lot of the time because white men since the beginning of history have always had the pen in their hand. So we have to mm -hmm. take personal responsibility to craft our own narratives and then use that in service mm -hmm. of the businesses that we create. So it's really harnessing social media as a tool to further mm -hmm. propel yourself and your brand identity forward. And your narrative. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It is kind of the humanizing aspect of business. And that's really what builds loyalty to your brand is the people. For a lot of founders, it is a start of you are the only one. You're doing absolutely everything. And if you're not just content creating, you're actually creating product, you're energy, time, brain power gets stretched really thin. Where can they make space for social media? How can they get the right balance in doing their social media? Because that seems to be where the boost for their business is going to be and actually having to create their product or run the business. How do they balance that and get the best access to social media? 
I think it's being mindful of what your limitations are, because I think that is the major gripe with creators and founders. It's like, oh, it's another thing for me to do, right? It's another thing I have to maintain. And I think it's also like, you don't have to be on this aggressive posting schedule to have a social media presence. You know, like TikTok is such a friendly platform to inconsistent posting, like, it, all it really oh, yeah. takes on TikTok is like the right trending sound and the timing and the topic. You know, that alone can make your videos go viral. There's a lot of people who sell courses on how to go viral. But realistically, like TikTok's algorithm is extremely unpredictable. So most mm. people are just kind of figuring it out as they go because it's so new in that sense. But Mm. that leaves some really beautiful room for experimentation. And I think one thing for creators and founders to keep in mind is that you, if you don't have the energy to do it, don't do Mm -hmm. it. Do one TikTok a month if you can. But once you Hmm. kind of can reap the benefits of more consistent posting, you're going to realize it is a worthy investment of your time and energy. Finding that balance is all a result of understanding your relationship with social media. Like, am I capable of this? Do I understand what I'm doing? Because I think that's what frustrates people is you go through the effort of making these videos. It doesn't get any views. And then you're like, okay, (laughs) so this sucks and it doesn't work and I don't want to do it anymore. But realistically, it's, it's consistency. It's paying attention to your consumers. It's a lot of community engagement, honestly. That's mostly Mm -hmm. where you're going to see that dialogue open with your consumers and your customers is like posting a video and seeing the comments, you liking that comment or responding, thank you, like that alone can drive people to continue to interact with your brand. So, you know, just give yourself space to interact with your community and create content when you can, but also understand that It is something that's more of the long game when you're a small business. You're very organic at that level versus these big, big, big brands. And again, the comparison mindset will need to be pushed to the side in that instance. So at what point would a small business want to reach out to hire social media marketing or branding company or, or someone doing the consulting It takes time for people to learn your brand, your tone, you know, how you want your brand to be portrayed. So you can't just hire someone and hand it off, right? You're still going to have to check the quality of Uh, assets being produced. You're still going to have to meet with that person regularly. And it's never going uh to be fully automated because it's your baby, right? You still need to keep an eye on it. But I do think there comes a point in businesses where it also depends on what your end goal is. Do you want to scale your business to be very, very successful? Or are you okay with cultivating a small but intimate organic community? It really Mm -hmm. just depends on what your end goals are. So I do think once your business is somewhat profitable to the point where you can onboard someone, and this goes back to wanting Mm -hmm. to pay people equitably for their labor. Yes, um, I would definitely look into even non-traditional people that you can both learn from each other. That way, it could be a college student just getting started out. You can pay them Mm -hmm. as an intern. Um, It's great experience Mm -hmm. for both of you. You'll learn a lot about yourself as a leader and conveying ideas and what you want. And that student or person who's just kind of getting their feet wet 
we'll learn a lot about first time consulting and working with clients and bringing ideas to fruition. So I do think it's mm-hmm. very beneficial for both parties, but I don't think there is like an exact time where it's like, now it is time to hire a strategist. I think <laughs> you can even do one-offs with strategists where you only have like an hmm. hour conversation with them. And sometimes that's all you need to get your own creative juices flowing. The takeaway here seems to be that we should really check in with ourselves to evaluate if we are being authentic, true to who we are before establishing a brand or public identity. But as we know, that can get us a lot of no's, a lot of, mm. so you see it as worth it. Did you see the air quotes? <laughs> I think it's, it's not only worth it, but it also gives you like audacity. That's what I always say mm. is like, I operate on a level of audacity because <laughs> when I meet people, I'm always like, yeah, we should collaborate or like, yeah, we should do this. You know, I'm very like, yeah. open to connecting, forcing yourself into this space where you are not allowed to be your authentic self is right. counterintuitive uh. to the mission because that's how you yeah. wake up 10 years from where you started and you're not happy. You're not fulfilled because yes. you're acting in service of your authenticity. Mm-hmm. That is really what people need to learn is you disrespect yourself when you try to change who you are, like, obviously, we can all be students of the world. I always consider myself a work in progress. Everyone should always be a student, a student mentality yeah. in anything yes. they do. You always have to be learning and open and receptive. And, you know, that's really what's led me where I am. And I think the yeses are 100% worth it because the no's made room for the yeses. You are doing this now on the side because you have your full-time job, you're doing it 100% remote, but you also really want to take this social media marketing and branding as your career and have your own company. What does that look like for you? If you know, tell me. Um, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I think my long-term goals would really involve getting a small but really great group of clients where we build these really great relationships together and grow from that. And I also think it's something that is more attainable. And I think the way that I would achieve something like that is also continuing to network within my community finding your niche, right? I found mine. It's that Latina Mm -hmm. focus community. And then just continuing to network and harnessing my power within that community. So uh, right now I'm really just focusing on building up my personal brand and then using that to connect with others. Oh, I love that. This keeps resonating back to network and community, network and community. And, And don't be afraid to ask, reach out and ask. Okay. Now I have some fun stuff for you. (laughs) We know a lot about you and even how you express yourself and you're so vivacious and you've shared openly with us. We really appreciate that. But what would the listeners not guess about you? Oh, that I'm a certified seamstress. Like that really surprises (gasps) people. It does surprise me. Okay. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a certified seamstress. So what is that about? It's kind of like technical programs and like you can do them at 
fashion oriented schools. If you study like fashion design, you can obtain certificates through your programs that just show that you're capable of certain um, seamstressing abilities. It was a program that you go through and you have to display like a certain level of hand sewing abilities, machine sewing abilities, ability to work with different garments and fabrics. So, you know, I think that's something that really surprises people. Oh, wow. Yes, definitely did not see that coming. My grandma made all of our dresses. Yeah. So she taught me my first like hand sewing, how to do a button, how Mm -hmm. to fix like a hole and things like that. I had to learn how to darn socks. I mean, does anybody even know how to darn socks? I was going to say, I don't know what that is. Would they even bother? (laughs) But I tried to teach my daughters how to sew and it didn't take. I mean... They dabbled, but it didn't take. So it took with you. You're just part of that curiosity, that hunger for knowledge that you have. Can we do a shout out for a cafecito place? Of course. My favorite cafecito place is in Jalco, Puerto Rico. Yes. Oh, cool. Because Jalco is actually the city of coffee. That is what it's known for. We have a festival de café every year. <gasps> It's really beautiful. There's like a parade. There's like street vendors that sell food and artisans that come and make things. It's really beautiful in the little placita in el pueblo. But my favorite coffee place is in Jauco. It's called Carajillo Coffee House. It is really great. It has kind of that campesino vibe, very like Puerto Rico in the countryside, kind of like old style, but very modern offerings. And they only sell coffee that's grown and harvested in Jauco or in Guayanilla, which is a pueblo right next to us. So every time my family goes to Puerto Rico, I make them come back with coffee beans because I love that place so much. (laughs) So shout out to Carajillo in Jauco. Ooh, okay. Love it. I'm going to have to hit that one up. Oh my gosh, you'll love it. Well, thank you so very much, Ashley. This has been, my eyebrows are burned off. I have just like learned so much. I love it. So I really appreciate you coming on for that. We will have any of your contact information or information you'd like to share with us uh, that will be in the show notes on the episodes and any of the streaming platforms that people listen to. There's the show notes. We will link directly to your contact information if you're open for that. And also in the article that will be on our website. Thank you so much for your time. I, I love the conversation we have. And I think it's like you said, it's always being a student of the world around you. There's always opportunities to learn. Good things or bad things. Everything has a purpose. I really love this episode. I appreciate your time. I love everything you're doing. More power to you and see what comes next. This is just such an important platform. I'm so passionate. So thank you. You can discover more about Ashley Rivera Mercado, founder of Primer Dia Creative, a full-service digital marketing agency on her website, at primerdiacreative.com. Reach out to Ashley through her website, where you can also schedule a chat session with her just by clicking a button. I really appreciate you sharing this podcast with your friends and family to build our community and voice our narrative. The women on this podcast have provided powerful insights in defining cultural identity and how they moved it into successful careers based on their authentic selves. Next week will be one of our Pod Club episodes, 
when we reflect on the gems heard here today, it really takes a moment to let it all sink in and then have those wow moments. Like today, this is going to take me some time to have it all sink in, but that will bring us back next week to talk about it. What was your favorite aspect of what Ashley talked about today? Or what did you learn that will help you move your business forward? Or are you at that point where you're wondering, am I putting my authentic true self out there? Because admittedly, that is really scary to not at least have a thin veil, a little barrier between our true authentic selves and the public. So until next week, step into your truth, ladies. Ciao. Really appreciate the time you take to rate and review the podcast. Get the backstory and what you've heard here today and reach out to us at thelinks.com. That's L-N-X-X. Because it's about time, it's about us. Stay in the groove on our social media at LifeLinks and get ready to make your move, ladies. Viva!